Good morning, church family. Uh, I guess some people ran home today and, and got working on their Thanksgiving dish. Now we're going to have Thanksgiving dinner church-wide. Five o'clock, we're going to have a service. I have a little guest speaker I've invited today, my Pakistani friend, Anthony. He's going to get introduced to the church. He is a Christian there. He's the one I spoke about that's faced persecution over in Pakistan here now. And so I'm looking forward to hearing from him. My favorite thing that he says is... Uh, when we decide to make plans together, he goes, we will do this. And so <laughs> that's like his favorite thing to say. Are you going to come to the dinner? We will do this. So he will be here. He has made the commitment clear. It's much better than like in our culture. I got friends that are like, hey, you want to join me and do this? Um, yeah, maybe. It's like a, it's, no, it's, a, it's a basically it's a soft no. Well, he's, he's very firm on the other hand. We will do this. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. All right. Well, we are working through Hebrews chapter 11. So as you turn there, take, I invite you to take your Bibles. Turn there with me. Uh, just one verse in your bulletin today, really one verse I'm going to work, work through, and that's going to be Hebrews 11.7. Now, um, before we uh, get there, I uh, want to remind you of a couple things here as we've been working through this passage in this text. We have seen the author of Hebrews here in what is perhaps one of the best known passages in all of the New Testament, but also I would argue one of the most misunderstood passages in all the New Testament. And so the author here is reminding us here what true faith really is. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of pick up where we were. Last week, we remember he talked about Enoch and he talked about Abel, right? Two people who are commended. God said he commended them for their faith and that they met their demise in different ways. If you'll remember, Enoch was persecuted and by his, or Enoch was, uh, excuse me, miraculously delivered, never faced death and went to be with the Lord. And we'll remember that Abel, he was same faith, said they got the same combination uh, from uh, the Lord, and he was murdered. So what we see here is those two characters, not major characters, but they are laying out a train track here of which Hebrews chapter 11 is going to follow. And that train track means this, some of us in this room, we're going to be very faithful to the Lord. We will have faith that is like these brothers' faith. And you're going to see a miraculous deliverance of some kind. But there will be others of you in this room that for whatever God's reason would be, that you will be crushed by the circumstances of this world and this life. And it doesn't mean that you have less favor than Enoch or than, um, did I say the other person was? Abel in the Old Testament. But it just means that it is God's pleasure and will. It doesn't mean you're loved less if you face one or the other. Well, today in this, in this line here, we're introduced to a third person. And that is Noah. So let's, let's look at this in the Old Testament here. <coughs> Hebrews 11, 2 through 7. For by it, that is faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, I want you to pay special attention here what it says here. Those who draw near to God, right? 
must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then verse 7, which is where we're going to spend the all of our time this morning, says this, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. May God have blessing to the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. And I pray he writes this, these words in truth on our hearts today. So what are we talking about this morning? Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about what it takes to build a true faith, a faith that is pre pleasing to God. Here's the reality of the Christian life. It doesn't matter how much, how many orphans you help in Africa. It doesn't matter how much work you do to, uh, to good works you do. It doesn't matter how much money you give. At the end of the day, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that it is impossible to please God without faith. That's what it says. So the question is here, how do we have a faith, a true faith, that, that is building and is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, well, we're introduced to this character here, to Noah in the Old Testament. And Noah is commended because of his faith. And that's what the goal of this life is, right? Is that we would see receive a con combination like these other brothers did in the Old Testament and that we would have the same thing. And here, Noah receives that. So it, one of the things we want to highlight here, the thing we learned a minute ago, it is not so much whether you have a lot of money, whether or not you're liked, whether you have good health or bad health. What matters is ha has your life, is your life one that is pleasing to God, right? One that God can look at and say, I am pleased with that. I can give these brothers the same kind of commendation that's there. Now, when we think about here, Noah, he's mentioned multiple places in the Bible. Uh, Noah is mentioned in Genesis chapter 6. If you want to read about Noah this afternoon, I would encourage you to go back and read Genesis chapter 6. You can learn about him. Um, from what we can tell in the Old Testament, Noah is about two generations removed from Adam. It appears that uh, Methuselah, who is the oldest living character in the Bible, would have been Methuselah's grandfather. And so Methuselah would have known Noah. He would have also known Adam. So it appears from what we can tell from biblical uh, timeline, Methuselah would have passed right before the flood happened. He would have passed away right before the flood. So Noah here is a person of true faith. It's marked out. Now, what was the time that Noah lived like? You know, two generations removed from creation. You would think people would be what? Right? Pretty godly. That they would have a focus on the things of God. Right? Wouldn't you think? Not the case. Not the case at all. Uh, in fact, here's what it says. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, he's talking about when he will return in judgment. And he says the following. He says, the people of Noah's day were drinking, making merry, giving in marriage. And let me just say this. When it says given in marriage, it's not talking about actually getting married. It's talking about sexual promiscuity. So you have here... Noah's generation, they are confused. They are um, departing from the, the faith. So they are uh, apostate. They are 
involved in debauchery. That's a big fancy word to mean engagement of fleshly lust at all levels, and they are confused sexually. That doesn't sound like a generation you live in, does it? Sounds very similar to a generation that you live in. I will sometimes hear, there's not as many in this service as there is in the other one. We have more senior adults down on the other end, and I spent just a minute there sort of saying, before you start pointing a finger and saying, look how terrible millennials are, or look how terrible this generation is now, you better rewind the tape and remember when you were young once too, right? I bet when you were young, your parents probably thought, that music you listen to is terrible. The way you wear your hair is awful. I can't imagine doing things the way you do them. Right? We were all young at one point, and there was a generation before. In some ways, it's easier to complain about younger generations than it is to, to encourage them. right? And I'll hear sometimes, particularly from senior adult crowds, they'll say things like, it's worse now than it ever has been. To which I say, not true. Because in the generation Noah lived in, God only found one family that was faithful in all the families on the planet. So it's not as bad as it was in Noah's generation. Now, it may be similar, but it is not as bad as it was when Noah was around. So I often correct those who want to jump on the things are worse now than they ever have been trained and say, no, not really, right? There was a point in history things were worse. So Noah is building this, and when we look at this text, one of the first things that jumps out at us, it says here, by faith, Noah being warned by God, concerning the events yet unseen. Here's a quick biblical quiz. I don't have anything to give you this morning, but just for the fun of it here, how many years passed between when God told him of the coming judgment on his generation and the flood? How many years did he know that before it happened? Does anybody know? It's about 120 years. 120 years. I want you to think about this. That's you know Noah lived to be 350 years old. That's about a third of his life. I want to, I want to ask you a question. What if, what if Jesus in bodily form came down to your house this afternoon and he said, listen, I want to tell you about the coming judgment, the rapture and everything that's going to happen. This generation is going to be judged. It's going to happen in about 40 to 50 years. You will see it before you die. You need to make preparation. What would you do for the next 40 or 50 years? If you knew for sure, I mean, Jesus told you, he told you things nobody else knew, you knew it was Christ. He said, it's happening. I want you to know, right? Uh, Peter says that Noah was considered a herald of righteousness in his generation. And he built that ark and he worked on it for like a hundred years. Can you, can you imagine what he probably endured from people? I mean, he, the, the Lord told him. Now let's, let's talk for just a minute here about how God speaks to us. Because this is the first point. One of the, if you're taking notes, I've got about three or four points today. Here's your first point from the text. It would be this. Faith hears, true faith hears the inaudible. True faith hears the inaudible. Think about this. Everybody that was alive at that time, nobody heard about the coming judgment of God except Noah. And God says here, God warned him concerning these things. Um, have you ever heard somebody say, God told me this. And it's like they're talking as if they have heard an audible voice, even maybe a still small voice. I'm going to tell you something. When people tell me that, I am immediately skeptical. 
and I'm going to tell you why. There's multiple reasons why, but I'm going to tell you why. Uh, <clears throat> I have a hearing problem. I don't know if you know this or not. I've not told a lot of you this. It's just something I live with. There are times, I'm pretty sure it happened from the time I worked construction, because if you've ever been on a construction site, it's very loud. And I'm pretty sure my hearing was damaged when I worked in construction. There are times I sit in silence in my office and my ears just ring. And so I, I have this hearing problem. And so here's what happens. There are times my wife will tell me something or others will tell me something. I don't hear them. I physically don't hear them. Uh, there are other times that my wife will tell me something and I forget. <laughs> I forget that she's told me. There's no transcribed message. She's told me and I forget. Now let's do a quick survey. How about at work or in your marriage? Has your spouse or co-worker ever told you something that either you didn't hear or that you forgot? Raise your hand. Here's my point. Relying on audible messages from God is one, scary, and we could have a whole discussion about is that canonic or not, and two, it's a slippery slope, right? Because you may or may not be able to retain that. I need something louder than an audible message. I need the written Word of God. Did you know 2 Peter says this? 2 Peter says that we have something more sure than the audible voice from Mount Sion. We have the Word of God. The Word of God. It is the definitive truth from which God speaks. You see that? Uh, the word here, rhema, literally means that it's a sense in which a divine speaks personally to a person here, so speaks personally with Noah. So in this context here, God is speaking in a personal way to Noah. I don't know exactly how that looked. I don't know exactly how he got that done. God was 100% clear this is God. Noah was 100% clear this is the message I'm supposed to receive and carry out, and he did so. Uh, in a similar fashion here, while we don't have audible things from the Word of God, we have the Word of God itself. And it is louder than these things. Now let me, I'm going to, since this is kind of an area that's a pet peeve of mine, I, 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 would, I would say that there are two things that have blurred this a little bit. One is mysticism, the influence of mysticism, and two is the charismatic movement. Uh, there. They've kind of blurred this understanding of how God speaks and communicates. Uh, I will often hear people say something like this. I have confronted people in sin before. My favorite part of my job, but I, I do it because I'm called to do this. And I'll say, <clears throat> here's what the Word of God says. By your own testimony, here's what you said has happened. Brother, sister, whoever it is, please repent. I'll plead with them to repent. And... I've had people who have dug into their, in their sin, and here's what they'll say to me. They'll say, I have peace about this. You ever heard somebody say that? I've got peace about it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought that the reason you have peace with your sin, because the Bible states that whatever you're engaged in is clearly sin, could be because you have seared your consciousness and no longer able to hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Right? You're mistaking peace with God with peace with your flesh. You can't trust your feelings. You can't trust an audible voice. What can you trust? The infallible Word of God. That and that alone. And then people know this. 
some of them, and I'll talk to some people that are not really believers or are somehow trying to mix their, their fleshly desires with the Word of God. And they'll say like, oh yeah, we know that in Matthew 24 it said that it'll be like the days of Noah and that people will be all mixed up and be given in marriage and there'll be a lot of sexual mis- misconduct. But I mean, God talks a lot about love in that passage and I don't think Jesus would have said, you know, judgment's going to fall on these people. Who are you? What what makes you able to stand over the Word of God with a pair of scissors and cut out the parts you don't like and leave the parts you like? Were you there when they laid the foundation of the earth, when the Trinity spoke and creation instantly came into existence? You are just giving your opinion on what you would like the text to say. You're not submitting to it. You're standing over it and judging it. Or worse yet, there's even a worse thing I've heard before. You ready for this one? This one's worse. <clears throat> in an effort to try to, you know, bring things in line, this is more like liberal churches do, bring things in line with LGBTQ and different things like that, they'll say things like this. Well, friend, you see, if Jesus would have just known what we know now, then everything, he would have not said the things he said and he would have been a wholly different ballgame. Excuse me? That is the epitome and height of arrogance. Do you really think you know more than Jesus just because you went to some four-year liberal arts university? All of a sudden you have this knowledge that is more than Jesus Christ who creates, sustains, and makes intercession at the right hand of the Father who is the eternal God of God. You know more than He does? Give me a break. That's the epitome of arrogance, isn't it? So... When we're talking here about true faith, we're talking about hearing the inaudible voice, the voice that speaks from the pages of Scripture loudly to all that will hear, right? We're not talking about still small voices. We're not talking about um, hearing audible voices. We're not talking about donkeys hearing, speaking to us. You know, in Hebrews it says that, that years ago God spoke in many different ways. He spoke with donkeys and He spoke with burning bushes. He spoke with still small voices. But today He speaks through Christ who is Christ. He's the Word of God. It is written down. We all have it. And just because you say, and I hear people say this, well, it doesn't feel as personal to me, Pastor, when you explain it that way. Just because God says something to all of us does not mean it is still not personal to you. Right? If it's, a, if it's given to all of us, we still individually have to build and, and, and carry out what's been given. So it is both to everyone and personally to you. Amen? I'm stepping on toes or hearts this morning. I'm not sure which one. I thought for sure we'd get a little interaction on this one. All right. So truth, true faith hears the inaudible, the Word of God, namely. Second thing we see here, as we look closely at this passage, uh, we see that the Word of God says, in reverence, fear. I, I don't know why the ESV commentators put that there in the Greek. The word fear is actually not in this passage. It really should just be in reverence. Noah constructed an ark for the saving of his household. I think they were trying to get it out of reverent fear for God. That was you know, out of his fear of the Lord, out of his reverence for God, he did this thing that he was called to do. But I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but can you imagine the hostility he must have faced? And that's the second thing here. True faith will face the hostility. Can you imagine 
Noah's building this ark. He's been working on this thing for 75 years. Generations are born. A little boy comes up to him one day. He says, Mr. Noah, what are you doing? Noah goes on and tells him. He says, well, I'm building this ark because God told me there's a judgment coming on this generation. Unless you believe and get on this ark, you're not going to be saved. You're going to perish. This whole generation will perish unless they listen to God's call and they believe. Oh, okay. And that little boy goes home and says, Daddy, that old man down the road, Mr. Noah, he's building a boat. By the way, I don't know if you've ever looked at the ark, but the dimensions of it and the way it looks, it kind of looks like a casket. We'll get to that in a minute. I'll, I'll get to that in just a minute. But he said, you know, Daddy, that boy, he, he is building an ark. And he says that our whole generation is going to be judged. And if we don't believe in God and turn to Him, draw near to Him, we're all going to die. And that dad says, son, listen. Listen, son. That, that old man has been building that ark for ever since I was a little kid. I talked to your granddad this week. He told me Noah was building that ark when he was a kid. It ain't never rained. We don't even know what he's talking about, rain. He said, we're miles from any kind of big body of water. That old man's just going to build a big old boat out in the middle of nowhere and nothing's ever going to happen. And that little heart is turned away from God. In a similar situation today, can you see little boys, little girls? Mommy, Daddy? I went down to Grace Baptist Church Dinner on, uh, in Lynn Valley by the grocery store, you know. Well, they told me that Jesus Christ is the most important thing in life and that following Him and giving your life to Him is the most important thing you can do. And if you don't, you can face judgment. What should I do? Oh, that church has been down there since the late 40s. They've been saying that stuff since your grandpa was a little kid when he went to VBS down there. And, uh, you know, you can just you can give a little bit of your life to Him, but don't be a fanatic. Don't be fanatical. Just give a little bit, not all your life to Christ. And so fathers turn their hearts away from the Lord. It says here in the next part of the section, uh, he, he, he built this ark for the saving of his own household. Men that are here today, what kind of household are you building? Or if you're the head of your household, uh, maybe you're here today, and I want to ask you, what, what kind of household are you building? Are you building one where the children have reverence for God, where they know Christ is the most important thing, where little hearts and little hands are turned to Him and raised and praised to Him? Or are you building something else? It's, you know, it's what it says here. It was fearfully constructed so that that can happen. Facing that hostility, you know. Uh, our culture is becoming increasingly acidic to the things of God. And preparing our children for that is critical. Third thing here I would say is that true faith believes the impossible. Believes the impossible. Noah was completely and utterly alone as the family building this ark for the coming judgment, facing daily persecution from people as he stood out and faithfully built a little bit on that thing each day. No doubt he, he endured insults from the generation that surrounded him. And what was his message? Believe in God, draw near to Him, repent of your sins. Isn't that our message? Turn from your sins, believe in God, draw near to Him. You know, you ever thought about what our message sounds like to unbelievers, to like the unregenerate mind? Friend, if you will just 
put your full faith and trust in Christ and what He did on the cross, you'll be saved. You don't have to do. You don't have to be part of this. You just have to trust Him. I've heard my lost friends say things like, sounds like some kind of exclusive club. Sounds like, you know, pretty easy, you know. Sounds like simple when you frame it that way. Surely there's got to be more to it. And when you go on and tell them that one day, I believe God is, Jesus is going to come back riding on a white horse, going to have a tattoo on his leg. He's going to be a, he's going to be bringing the judgment of God and all this generation will be judged. The trumpet will sound. The dead will rise. Believers will follow him shortly after and all the rest will face judgment. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? To a lost person. But isn't it what the word of God says will happen? Hasn't the Bible told us? Hasn't Christ warned us that there is a coming judgment? Here's the reality of it. If you have faith like Noah, if you have faith like Enoch, if you have faith like Abel, you have a faith that seems impossible to those that are far from God. Let me, let me share a quote with you. This is from one of one person I greatly admire his faith, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who knows who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is? Raise your hand if you've heard of him before. He's he is a, a great German theologian of yesterday. And, and here is what he says when he's writing about Psalm 63. He says the following. At some point in the psalmist's life, quite something quite decisive happened. God came into his life. From that moment, his life was changed. I don't mean that he suddenly became good and pious. He may have been that before, but now God himself had come and had drawn near to him. What made his life remarkable was simply that God was always there with him and that he could no longer get away from God. It completely tore his life apart. He was so often heard and said that religion makes people happy and harmonious and people peaceful and content. Maybe that's true of religion, but it is not true of God and his dealings with mankind, it is utterly wrong. This is what the psalmist discovered. Something had burst open inside of him. He felt as if he were split in two. A strange flared up within him. A struggle flared up within him, which every day became more and more heated and terrible. He experienced hour by hour how his old beliefs were being torn out of his inner being. He struggled desperately to hold on to them, but God standing ever before him had taken them from him and would never give them back. That's a picture of salvation. I'll tell you, in a passage like this, we are reminded of what true faith is. True faith is not religion. It is relationship with Christ. It's drawing near to Him. He goes on to say, By this He condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, and that comes by faith. A couple of things I'm going to say about this. That phrase, He built the ark in reverence, constructed the ark for the saving of His household, and that ark stood as a testimony against the generation that was there. In John 3.19, we're told a similar thing. You know that you may live, you, you may live for Christ here. And here's the reality. This is what we're reminded. As you live a life that pleases the Lord, one that is one marked by true faith, that the brighter the light of the gospel shines in your life, 
that the more those around you will be without excuse because they will be able to see Jesus Christ more clearly. As that ark became more and more constructed, representing, I think in some ways, a casket because of the coming death of all that were around it. They saw that casket being resurrected there. It was a condemnation of the coming judgment that was there. It was a visual reminder that God would be passing judgment on that generation soon. And this is why true faith is critical right now. This morning, Leonard Peters handed me an article and it was about how Generation uh, Z and Millennials, so that's, I've read socio, uh, sociologists, different classifications. I'm still confused if I'm a young Gen Xer or if I'm an old Millennial. I'm in one of those two camps. But um, it's, he, he, I, I don't know if he was surprised, but it said they want true disciples. They want discipleship. They want to be true believers. I was not surprised by that article in the least, Right? Every generation, God preserves some so that the light can shine clearly and also to be a greater condemnation on those who won't believe. See, the, the thing that saved Noah and his family, right? That ark. I love what it says in Genesis chapter 6. I want you to think about this. You remember what it says when God gave Noah the command to get in the ark? Did it say, Noah, go get on the ark? What did he say? He said, Noah, Come into the ark. You know what that means? You know what he's saying there? His presence was in the ark. This was the invitation God gave Noah. He said, Noah, come into the ark with me. Draw near to me. And isn't that the message today? Isn't that the invitation this morning? Just as Noah was called by God to come in, so you are being given the same invitation. Come into Christ this morning. Draw near to Him. You know where the safest place to be when Christ returns is? Right by His side. That's the safest position to be in when Christ returns is right by His side. Where was the safest place for Noah and his family? Right with God inside the ark. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You so much for a passage like this where we are called to hear the warning that You have given to believe Your Word. Lord, to do Your will. We are reminded here of what it means to be in agreement with you, God, that we would be confessors of our sin, drawing near to you, that we would profess this salvation, Lord, and that we would be baptized not to save us, but in obedience to the command. Lord, let us draw near. We don't enter an ark. We enter into Christ through faith, God. Is anyone here today who has been far from the Lord? The call still stands and the invitation is still there to draw near to them. Or maybe you're here today and you've just, Lord, there may be some who have just been religious and pious and peaceful. They've never been rocked like Dietrich Bonhoeffer said or like Noah was rocked in his generation. Lord, I pray that you would take that satisfaction with dead religion and pull it from their hands and give them something by far greater. And that is a relationship with you, God. Lord, I pray and ask these things in your precious holy name. Amen.